Welcome to the Fuqua Show for the stories, experiences, and insights of Team Fuqua. I'm your host, Thomas Chang, and today's guest is Gina Elkatan. How are you, Gina? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Gina, for joining us today. Gina is one of our Fuqua founders. And a brief intro, Gina is a second-year MBA student. Originally from Egypt, she emigrated to Canada in 2011, where she studied and worked before coming to Fuqua. Gina and her mother co-founded a business called Nuba, which produces organic, all-natural, traditional hibiscus tea. It's a young company, but they've been quite successful already, including a pitch on Dragon's Den, Canada's version of Shark Tank. So welcome again, Gina. Would love to hear if you have anything else you want to share. Already very interesting, impressive background. Thanks so much. No, I'm super excited. Also, just want to add that it's actually Shark Tank is the US version of Canadian uh, Dragon's Den. A lot of people will always be like, oh, it's, it's Canadian Shark Tank. I'm like, no, it's the opposite. <laughs> All right. So you've been on the, the OG Shark Tank. I was on the OG, yes. <laughs> Terrific. Well, let's jump into your story. There's so much that I want to know, and I'm sure listeners do as well. I want to ask, you're here at Fuqua right now, you're running this business. How did you go from Egypt to running a Canadian business from North Carolina with your mother? This actually sounds so insane when you say it like that. Because it is. Fair. Okay. We'll start at the very beginning. So I was born and raised in Egypt and then moved to Toronto in 2011 and went to school there, graduated, uh, worked at FedEx for a really long time. And while working at FedEx, I co-founded Nuba with my mom and we grew it while I was working full-time. I then decided to do my MBA. Uh, it's been a dream since I was a little girl, like I've wanted to do it since high school. So I actually ended up deferring a year and then came to Fuqua and decided that I wanted to pursue Nuba full-time and really take this to the next level. And yeah, I've been working on it essentially full-time with my mom from North Carolina. I do fly to Toronto quite often, but yeah, it's it's been a pretty uh, it's been a pretty wild ride. Well, that's a great high-level summary. I want to dive into some of the different chapters of that story, if that's okay. Yes, absolutely. So tell us about that move from Egypt to Canada. I think for me, it wasn't it was obviously very difficult because I was maybe 19 at the time and being uprooted from everything I knew. But I, I went into university. So I went to University of Toronto, where I was essentially surrounded by a bunch of people that were also very new to the country and new to the school and new to university. So I feel like that really helped ease the transition. I feel like the first three months there were a blur. Like, I don't remember them. I think I was just trying to survive. But Toronto is a great city. It's really diverse. And yeah, it wasn't, it was, it, I think because of university, it made it a much easier move than it would have normally have been. And so you did your studies at University of Toronto. You're working there. Tell us about how you decided to start this business again with your mother yes. of all people to be a co-founder with. Yes. I think my family's pretty entrepreneurial, especially from my mom's side. And when we moved to Toronto after I graduate, we were kind of toying around with different ideas that we wanted to start. So initially it was a cafe where we would serve the drinks. And then we were like, no, running a cafe is insane. Let's just focus on the drinks. And it really came about because, you know, hibiscus is really traditional in Egypt. Like we, we have it there all the time and we'd make it for our friends and neighbors and they really liked it. And this was circa like 2016, way before hibiscus was trendy, especially in Canada. And we really had no idea what we were getting ourselves into, truly. 
And that was really what started the journey. We started doing, you know, more serious digging about how we could industrialize the recipe, the nutritional facts, started looking into how we could possibly manufacture this and one thing led to another. And here we are. And people always ask me, like, it's your mom. And I feel like because I'm from Egypt, it's really common actually to go into business with your family. Like my mom worked with her dad for the majority of like her adult life and it's it's more common in Egypt, so it didn't feel too crazy to be starting a business with my mom. <laughs> but how about this hibiscus tea business where you started in your kitchen? Yes. Making these drinks for your neighbors? Yes. So essentially, we got started like we knew we wanted to do something. And then when we had that idea, we did a bunch of just like testing in little markets and and things. We just wanted to see if there was any appetite for this. And that was really how we, we kind of got started, then figured out, okay, if we couldn't find a co-packer. So a co-packer is somebody that generally manufactures, like a lot of your favorite uh, food and brands actually don't do their own manufacturing. They outsource it. And we couldn't find anyone to make it for us. So why not? Because we were really particular about how we wanted made. We wanted to brew it from the whole hibiscus flowers. We didn't want to concentrate. We didn't want to add like flavors or colors or whatever. We really wanted the authentic experience. And with co-packers, they mostly deal with concentrates or like very distilled versions. You can't just walk in with like a bunch of hibiscus flowers and be like, hey, can you make this for me? But also they require like really crazy production runs and things like that, that we weren't comfortable doing. So kind of got to this crossroads of to, okay, we're either going to abandon this because we can't find anyone to manufacture, or we're going to really go hard and set up a small manufacturing line to start making it and, and see if we had something. So that's, that's what we did. We had a tiny, tiny little facility in downtown Oakville, which is like the, in the suburbs of Toronto. And that, that's where we made our first production runs. I'm sure that there's been lots of challenges throughout the journey, but back then when you were just getting started, trying to create something from nothing, yes. what were the hardest things? Oh gosh, where to begin? <laughs> I don't think anything at all was easy. So obviously the manufacturing is just its own beast. And we had, even though it was very, very like small scale equipment, but you know, our fair share of explosions, fires, burns, cuts from glass, like it's it's no joke. It's very physical and labor intensive. And I think that's been part of it, why it's so challenging. It's it's very labor intensive. Like I completely wrecked my right shoulder. It will never be the same. Purely from this is just like Nuva, but it's it's a part of it is very physical. And, and I think that it's challenging and exhausting in, in ways that other startups may not necessarily have to deal with. But then also I think part of the challenge was hibiscus isn't well known in Canada. Like I think in the US, there's a little bit more familiarity because there's such a large Hispanic population. So there's more familiarity with hibiscus. Like it's it's really popular in Mexico and other places. But in Canada, the, I think the education curve was really steep. We did a bunch, like we did have to do so many demos and, and uh, in-store samplings and talking to people. They'd be like, what's hibiscus? What does it taste like? Is it good for you? Is it a flower? Is it a juice? So I think it was very much a struggle for people to even know what what hibiscus was, let alone buy it off the shelf and, and give it a shot. And meanwhile, there's explosions happening all the time. 
Yes, we've had our fair share. <laughs> well, I was about to say, founders are always talk about putting out fires, but you were yes. literally putting we out were, fires. We have literally, I have literally put out fires. I've had to break glass because it got stuck somewhere. The amount of the amount of broken glass we've dealt with and burns is is pretty insane. <laughs> now. You're still working full-time while you're doing this. Yes, essentially. And how do you deal with that challenge of, of the fires and the broken glass <laughs> on top of your full-time job? Honestly, it's really effing hard. Like, There's no sugarcoating it. And it's been a very challenging two years. I think with, with Dragon's Den, we aired during our winter break. And I have no idea how I would have ever made it work if it had not fallen in the timing that it did. I was... It, it aired literally two days after my last final for Fall 2. And I flew to Toronto the day of, and I was there for the whole month. Every spring break, I've worked. I am not doing anything fun on spring break. I'm going back to do manual labor for two weeks. So that's great. But it's 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 really hard. I think the way I've been able to manage it is I obviously didn't recruit. I've been pretty selective about my club involvement and just kind of dedicated every other productive waking moment to to doing this. I think what's, you know, what's been helpful is that there's waves. Sometimes it's incredibly intense and I have to just fly, like drop everything and essentially fly back to Toronto to deal with stuff. And then other times it's a little bit more low key. And I, I really try to take care of my mental, physical health and recharge to keep going, but it was really hard, no escaping it. (laughs) Well, let's talk about Dragon's Den. You have quite the story of how you ended up on this show to begin with and then your actual experience there. (laughs) Yes. Start from the beginning. Okay. <laughs> we got onto Dragon's Den, I think, in a very unconventional way. So this was back in the heyday of Clubhouse, which was, I don't know if everybody remembers, but it was like this audio-only social app that was just all arranged during COVID. This was like 2020. And my mom and I were just on it all the time because Toronto had some pretty insane lockdowns. And there were a lot of investors and founders and Arlene and Wes, who are two of the dragons, were really active on Clubhouse. And they decided to do this pitch competition. And the prize was a chance to audition for Dragon's Den. So I was literally sleeping in my bed at 10.30 p.m. And my mom runs up to me and she's like, Gina, there's a pitch competition. I want you to pitch. Because she she doesn't like pitching. That is like, she, she does all of the stuff, like all of the pitching she makes me do. And I was like, no, mom, like, I don't want to do it. It's literally 1030. I want to go to sleep. Like, what is this? She's like, no, Gina, I'm your mother. I'm telling you to pitch right now. <laughs> so I was just like, fine. And I literally pitched in bed in my PJs. It was one of the qualifying rounds. And we ended up making it to the next round. So we're oh. like, oh my God, okay, we made it to the next round. And the next round, it was like top 10 finalists. And they made this like big production on Clubhouse. And we were in Egypt at the time of the top 10 finalists. And I actually stayed up to like 3, 4 a.m. to pitch. And I was absolutely exhausted. I still actually kept my notes from that pitching on hotel paper because we were on vacation in Egypt. Ended up pitching and then we won. We were, I think we were second place. Audience voted for us, which was really cool. So we were like, okay, this is amazing. And and then it took a little while. We were like, okay, we weren't sure what was going to happen. And then the production team reached out to us. But they reached out to us in a way, I think, to manage our expectations, being like, hey, we've selected everybody that's really about to film. 
like we're filming and maybe it was maybe two, two weeks at the time. Just wanted to let you know. And I think it was probably a way for them to manage expectations that there was probably not going to be a spot for us. So we were like, okay, but we were so excited about the audition. It was in our kitchen. We we created this like backdrop of all of our products in our kitchen. It was over Zoom and we auditioned. And I think the the production assistant, we still talk to to this day, like we know her, her name was Nicole. <laughs> uh, I think she, she loved it, clearly loved the story. And she was like, hey, you know, we mostly have our schedule, but with TV, sometimes things move really fast. So we're like, okay, we were happy with how it went. And literally three hours later, we got the email being like, hey, Nuba team, you remember how I said things might move really quickly? A business dropped out and you have an official slot on Friday. Can you make it? And and I just remember my I just remember my mom yelling and me running down the stairs being like, yeah. (laughs) So it was super crazy. But we had 10 days. That was 10 days from our audition to prepare. It was just an insane 10 days trying to prepare for this. And I think it took years off my life. But we, you know, we got everything ready. Our neighbor did like acrylics and he did our entire um, like backdrop Uh where we put all our product. He had this like made some fancy cubes for us that we put it on. And we just prepped and pitched and talked to a bunch of people and got ourselves as ready as we possibly could. And then on the day, we went to the CBC building in Toronto where they film all the stuff. And we sat there for like four hours waiting for our turn. And then we go up the elevator and then it was just like, go, 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 go. And I remember putting on my makeup and just being like, oh God, like, please let me get my eyeliner right. (laughs) But we got ready. The The crew was just incredible. Production team was incredible. And then it's like, finally time. And this is it. It's happening. And they take us around. They mic us up. And we're standing there. It's like really dark. The studio's massive. And the production guy was just like, all right, we're ready. We're ready. And they're like, okay, stand behind the white line. And when you say go, you're going to walk and turn left. And the doors are going to open. And you're going to enter the den. And I just remember standing there feeling like I was about to jump off a cliff. And I remember just looking at my mom and my head thinking like, is this real? Is this real life? Am I actually going to do this? And the doors open. And I just remember feeling my heartbeat out of my chest, just like, and I was like, am I going to pass out on national TV? But then, you know, the doors open, you walk in and it's huge. The stadium is huge. They're sitting in front of you, like elevated. So you feel like you're in the gladiator pit. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was great. It went great. It was such a, um, just incredible once in a lifetime opportunity. <laughs> and how did the actual pitch go? So after the doors open, we walk in. So I don't know if many people know this, but they give you 60 seconds and that's the straight pitch. There's no reruns. There's nothing. And my mom absolutely refused to be part of that 60 second pitch. <laughs> so all she had to do was say her name and that she's from Oakville. Like that's all she had. And I was going to pitch the rest of it. So we walk over, we stand there. I take a deep breath and I'm like, okay, I start pitching and I'm like, hi, my name is Gina Katan. I'm from Nuva. We're from Oakville and we are asking for, and instead of 75, I said 17 and I look at my mom and she looks at me and I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. And then they're looking at us like, what? And then I was just like, I just took a deep breath. And then I was just like 75 and I I fixed it on the spot. Thankfully they edited it out. But I think that was actually one of my proudest moments was 
being able to recover from that and not have it rattle me. If you rewatch it really closely, you could see me laugh as I say 75 because it was just like intense, nervous laughter. <laughs> but I was able to recover and then continue. And then the rest of it is much more conversational. It's actually Q&A. It's not scripted. A lot of people ask me if it's scripted. It's not. You don't know what they're going to ask you. And uh, yeah, from from then on, it was it was pretty solid. We were incredibly nervous, but they loved the product. They loved the story. The feedback from it was just incredible. Is probably just one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my life. Like the community really rallied around it. And we got a lot of Egyptians messaging us being like, we're so proud of you, which was just the nicest thing you could ever hear. So it it was, we had a wonderful experience and I think got really lucky. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is quite the story. <laughs> quite the story. One thing that just amazes me is this idea of going on this entire journey again with your mother. Yes. And you mentioned that it's pretty common in Egypt to work yeah. with family members. It wasn't that weird or new for you all. Throughout all the ups and downs, how has this new business changed your relationship with your mom? Yeah. So I think for me, I've always we've always had a really good relationship, but it's definitely brought us much closer. And I always say there's just there's just no one else I'd rather do this with. And being able to share it with your mom, it's literally the person that gave birth to you. <laughs> it's just really special. It's its really special. And I feel like the level of trust that you have with a parent that you have a good relationship with is just pretty unparalleled than you would get with maybe a, a regular co-founder. So there's just a, a level of trust that's there, a level of comfort and familiarity and, and all of that. Not to say that it's easy. It's not at all. You have to manage different aspects of the relationship that you wouldn't have to manage if the person isn't your parent. But I think we've, you know, we've done a good job of finding our strengths in the business and really making that our own. So she has her PhD in agriculture. She does all of the production. She's very detail oriented. That is not my forte. She's such a stickler for things that I just have no patience for. And then on my side, she has like no interest in doing podcasts or pitching <laughs> or doing our social media or marketing or sales or any of that. And that's really where I excel. So it's been nice to find our own niche and then stick with that. But it's it's just been a great journey to be able to share this with our family. Like my dad's involved as well with my brother. So it, 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 it just makes it really special. You've mentioned the never ending challenges from the explosions, the fires, <laughs> to how much work there is and how you're not traveling over spring break, you're working on yeah. the business. What keeps you going? I think this the social mission aspect of it, we have a lot of people relying on us in Egypt, which I think really keeps us going. And for me, it, because the products are very much linked to our culture and our heritage, it's not like I came out with a cookie with a cookie or a granola bar or whatever. It has a lot of meaning. I feel like it, I have a sense of responsibility to it. It honestly, pettiness. <laughs> Just pure spite. I'm fueled by spite. <laughs> All the people that have ever said no to me, you know, like the, the Game of Thrones list of like, <laughs> but it's true. I feel like you need to have that prove people wrong and prove to people that you're going to make it. And I, I don't feel like we've made it by any chance. Like it very much so feels like a fight to survive at all times, but it's just fueled, fueled by pettiness. <laughs> well, I want to ask you about your time here at Fuqua. You touched on it a little bit earlier, but how Fuqua has helped you in your entrepreneurial journey? 
Yeah. So I think Fuqua has just been an incredible experience. Just the support I've been able to get has been really amazing. All of my friends recruited for whatever consulting tech, but, and I think it was just really heartwarming to see them celebrate my wins, which didn't really look like their wins. And just the general support I felt has been amazing. And then from a programming perspective, I'm part of the Melissa and Doug program. I did Fuqua Fast Pitch. And, you know, there, there's a plethora of opportunities for entrepreneurship there. But I think for me, the, the most incredible part has been the doors that's opened and the network that you become a part of that's willing to help has just been incredible. I'm able to just DM people on LinkedIn and be like, hey, I'm a Fuqua student. And that really gets you far. And I feel like I really lack that, to be frank, from from before business school. And it's just been a wonderful experience to to be able to do that. Well, you not only did Fast Pitch, you won Fast Pitch. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so on that, I want to hear about any advice you have. Let's actually first hear your advice on pitching because you won Fast Pitch here. You made it all the way to Dragon's Den yes. for folks here who need to pitch, even if they're not founders. Yes. Any thoughts on how we can be better storytellers? Absolutely. I feel like for me, this didn't come naturally. I feel like I've worked on it so much that hopefully it sounds natural, but um, nobody's born with it. Like people practice really damn hard to sound like they just walked onto the stage and had this pitch. So first of all, know that and don't be discouraged if you feel like you're not there yet. Second of all, it's practice. You have to practice all the time. And funnily enough, I learned to pitch on Clubhouse. So when I was really active and they, they had these pitching rooms and they're like, oh, oh crap, like they're asking me to pitch. Okay. And I'd like muddled something together. And then I did it over and over again and refined it with feedback. So by the time I got to Dragon's Den, I felt comfortable and I had a story and I had a pitch that was formulated in a way that made sense, that was compelling, that was authentic to me and what I wanted to say. So I think for, for me, the advice is just practice, practice on other people, and then practice so hard that it sounds natural. I'm by no means a perfectionist or like a person that's really detailed, or, except when it comes to my pitching. Every word counts, every pause counts. You have to be very deliberate with it. And what other advice do you have for folks who are currently working on their own venture or might want to in the future? Oh, gosh. Um, I think my advice would be don't underestimate how hard it is. I think you people always say that. But the emotional toll it takes is really extreme. Or physical in your case. And physical. It's really draining. The bad days are really freaking bad. And the good days are absolutely amazing. But just be prepared and know that this is what you're signing up for if that's what you want to do. And then second of all, just the importance of resilience. Because the the roller coaster ride is, is so intense, you have to kind of develop that thick skin and resilience and persistence. It's not the smartest or the most talented that makes it, but it's it's the person that kind of picks themselves up when things are aren't going that great and keeps going to the next step. Well, speaking of just keep going. Yeah. What's next for you and what's next for Nuba? Yeah. So I can't believe I'm saying this, but I can't believe I'm done in like two months. With the MBA. With the MBA. So it feels really crazy, but I'm moving back to Toronto to work on Nuba full time. We're gearing up for our US expansion, which I'm very excited for. So we're going to be focusing on our flavors of the Middle East line, specifically targeting Middle Eastern population, hoping to launch in time for Ramadan, which is coming up. So really excited about that. We've been, it's been in the works for quite some time. So yeah, that's next. And then some 
couple more retailers coming up in Canada that we're expanding to. We've expanded our product line a little bit to include dates and mint and chamomile coming soon. So yeah, that's that's what's coming next. Well, what a fascinating, exciting journey. <laughs> and I'm so excited to see where it goes. Any last messages for your customers, fans, anyone who's been on this journey with you? Uh, shout out to all my friends. You know who you are that have kind of kept me sane and grounded and been able to just go on this awesome Pequot journey with. Yeah, it's 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 been great. If anybody has questions or wants to chat anything, entrepreneurship, you know where to find me. Always happy, always happy to talk. All right. Well, thank you so much, Gina. And I'm so excited again to see where Nuba goes and where you go as well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to find you doing this. <laughs> of course. Thank you again.